The VPM Daily Newscast is sponsored by Kanawa Capital Management. Your financial life is unique, complex, and dynamic. Kanawa Capital Management's team of credentialed professionals has been helping its clients build wealth and confidence through personalized planning and informed investing since 1989. Learn more at cancap.com. That's K-A-N-C-A-P.com. I'm Benjamin Dolly, and this is the VPM Daily Newscast. Richmond City Council discussed a pair of police reform legislation this afternoon. The local legislation would address calls from protesters to defund the police. Roberta Roldan has more. The two resolutions are aimed at Richmond Police Department's budget. One directs the police to make recommendations on shifting some of their funding towards mental health and social services. The other would require regular reports on how police use some state and federal funds. Councilman Michael Jones is a sponsor of both resolutions. He says they're about increasing transparency and oversight. My hope and desire is that, as a council, that we would definitely exercise our oversight responsibility. That's what our committees are put together for, um, and that's our role. Police Chief Gerald Smith was present at the meeting and reiterated that his department wants more funding, not less. The two resolutions were approved by City Council's Finance Committee, They'll now go before the full body with a recommendation to approve. Roberto Roldan, VPM News. Last month, we reported on a man who was pepper sprayed through his apartment window by police following a night of protests in Richmond. Now he's suing the city and the police. Alan Rodriguez Espinosa reports. In May, Mikhail Smith recorded police seemingly spraying people on the street unprovoked. He yells at them, then they spray him through his window. Now he's suing for $400,000 in damages. You know, I definitely want to donate to several social justice organizations in Richmond. The amount of support that I've had is is overwhelming. Smith says he's received racist comments and threats from hate groups because of his video. The lawsuit says police unlawfully entered Smith's home, subjected him to cruel and unusual punishment, and violated his freedom of speech. Smith's attorney is also representing one of the women sprayed in his video in a separate lawsuit. The Richmond Police Department declined to comment. Alan Rodriguez Espinosa, VPM News. The Monument Avenue residents who sued Governor Ralph Northam to stop him from taking down the Robert E. Lee Monument have dropped their lawsuit. It's the second time the residents have called off a legal challenge to the governor's authority to remove the statue. They previously withdrew a similar lawsuit in federal court. A Richmond Circuit Court judge already granted a temporary restraining order in a different case, blocking the governor from moving the statue until the legal issues are resolved. That lawsuit was filed by William C. Gregory, a descendant of the family who gifted the property to the state in 1890. A hearing in that case is scheduled for July 23rd. On Saturday, Republicans will choose a nominee to take on Democratic Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger. As Ben Pavey reports, frontrunner Nick Freitas faces new challenges ahead of the convention. Six Republicans will compete to challenge Abigail Spanberger at the upcoming convention. Four of them forgot to submit paperwork on time to the Department of Elections, including Delegate Nick Freitas, who has a large lead in fundraising. Freitas made a similar mistake last year in his run for House of Delegates. This time, the former Green Beret and all of the other forgetful candidates got a pass from the Board of Elections. Now, a national Democratic group is suing to keep them off the ballot in November. Freitas' top competitor, Delegate John McGuire, says the lap shows his opponent isn't fit for the job. Spanberger narrowly unseated Republican Dave Bratt in 2018. She now holds a more than $3 million cash advantage over any of the Republicans. Ben Pavier, VPM News. This week, Richmond Redevelopment and Housing Authorities Board voted on changes to the way it collects rent and fees. 
The agency's lawyer, Corey Wolf, says the RRHA will revise its late fee policy and reduce the charge from $15 to $5. He says the effort aims to prevent cascading fees and high debts. Under the new system, whenever current month's rent is satisfied, the tenant will not receive a late payment, even if they owe charges for other reasons or from other months. RRHA will also change the way it processes residents' monthly payments. This comes after the agency faced a class action lawsuit for unlawfully applying tenants' money to high utility bills before rent, triggering late fees. Richmond's public school system won't be returning to in-person instruction anytime soon, but some private schools, like the Faison Center in Richmond, have announced plans to resume at least partial in-person instruction. Megan Pauley reports. The Faison Center, a private day school for young people with autism, plans to start in-person instruction in a few weeks. The school will rotate weeks of in-person and virtual learning. That's welcome news for some parents like Todd Howard. He's a single dad, and his 14-year-old son, Brandon, has autism and is nonverbal. He's not used to being cooped up 24 hours a day, so he's always wanting to go out, but you can't explain to him that he can't go outside. Howard says virtual learning has been hard for Brandon. But some still have concerns about the reopening. A group of Faison staff members are urging the school to reconsider an all-virtual reopening. Megan Polly, VPM News. Starting today, Chesterfield County's Emergency Operations Call Center will shut down due to a significantly low call volume. Established in March, the center gave residents who may not have Internet access updated information on county resources that were closed due to the coronavirus pandemic. During its four-month operation, the center took in almost 400 calls. Calls regarding COVID-19 should now be directed to the Chesterfield Health District at 804-318-8207. As of last week, more than 70% of detainees have tested positive for COVID-19 at an Immigration and Customs Enforcement facility in Farmville, 60 miles south of Richmond. This is a dramatic spike in positive cases since none had been confirmed as recently as the end of May. Jenny Gathright is a reporter for WAMU in Washington, D.C., who's been following the story. VPM's Alan Rodriguez Espinosa sat down to talk with her about it. So you've spoken to some of the individuals detained at this facility. How do they describe the conditions that they're living under to you? People are scared. People who are detained in Farmville describe an environment where people everywhere around them are sick and where they, in some cases themselves, are exhibiting symptoms of the virus and now have tested positive for the virus. On Friday, I spoke with a man who told me that he knows of only about two people in his 70-person dorm whose coronavirus test came back negative. It's clear that many, many people in Farmville are sick and are sick with the coronavirus and are coughing and having trouble breathing, all the symptoms we associate with the virus. You also spoke with family members of detainees. This is Norma, who has asked for us to not use her last name, talking about her husband. It is a human being, and not just my husband, but every single one of the people is there. They're human beings, and they deserve our respect. Jenny, what are some concerns that Norma and others have expressed about their loved ones? They just want to make sure they're hearing from their family members regularly, and they want to see them come home. I mean, Norma said that money is really tight in her household right now, but she says that she would find a way to get the money to quarantine her husband in a hotel room if he could just be released. And I think that's something you hear repeatedly from people is that they're just worried that their family members are sick and are not getting the care that they need. Now, as we see this spike in coronavirus cases at this facility, you reported that there were other detainees being brought in from other states, correct? 
Yeah, so people detained at Farmville and their lawyers are linking this recent outbreak of cases um, to transfers of detainees to Farmville from detention centers in Florida and Arizona at the beginning of June. Ultimately, 51 of those 74 people ended up testing positive for the coronavirus. And then if you fast forward to the end of June, that's when lawyers for people who had been detained at Farmville before those transfers started reporting that their clients were sick and that many people in the facility were sick. And then ultimately, ICE did universal testing and, you know, it surfaced an alarming positivity rate that more than 70% of people in the facility are confirmed to be positive for COVID-19 that point. And in light of all these positive cases, how is ICE responding to this? ICE says it does separate detainees who test positive from those who do not, and that it is providing medical screenings in the facility, temperature checks. Um, And it says it's added hand washing stations, hand sanitizer, it's distributing masks, including N95 masks to people inside the facility. But I think one thing that's clear, at least from the immigration lawyers I've spoken with, is that any effort that ICE made to keep people separated did not seem to work in keeping the virus from spreading to the rest of the facility. And these lawyers you've spoken to and other immigrant advocacy groups, what are they demanding from ICE in response to this? They want to see people released from the facility, particularly those who are the most medically vulnerable to the virus because of underlying conditions they have. They also want to see better medical care for their clients. But I think the number one demand is for as many people to be released from the facility as possible. Okay. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for sharing your reporting with us. Thank you, Alan. This has been the Daily VPM Newscast. Find all of VPM's stories online at vpm.org news. VPM. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.